Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is The Enthusiasm Project, Season 5, Episode 14, Series Episode 99. I've got 99 episodes, and this is one of those episodes. So today we're going to dive in and talk about camera stuff because there's a lot of camera stuff that's happened in the past week. And uh, I'm doing a video version, so I'm going to be showing a lot of stuff that uh, I'm talking about. But if you're not listening to the video version, you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. If you want to see the video version, of course, you can always support the show on Patreon or through YouTube channel memberships. And today while I'm recording, I'm also using the Earthworks Icon microphone again, the same one that I used last week. But I wanted to use it this week so that you could actually see it on camera. In case it was something that you're not familiar with, now you can actually see it. It's a small microphone and it's on the big PSA One Plus boom arm. And it honestly looks a little like too small on this boom arm. So I know that's like a very, who cares what the microphone looks like on a boom arm, except that I care what the microphone looks like on a boom arm. So anyway, that's what we're talking about there. Uh, I have a number of different things to kind of show and tell and go over today. But before that, a quick announcement about next week, which is going to be episode 100. Super cool milestone. It's uh there's all kinds of different milestones you can celebrate when you make stuff or you're, you know, a content creator, I guess. But there are there are certain ones that I don't know. There's there's ones that you're in control of and ones that you aren't in control of, I guess. Like a, a subscriber, a follower, a view, a download milestone is great when you hit those, but you really don't have a ton of control over them. Whereas stuff like an episode number, you have a lot of control. I can't control how many people download and listen to this podcast, but I can control coming in here and recording an episode a hundred times. And so that's a really cool thing to celebrate. I'm super excited for that. And the reason that I'm telling you now is because next week is going to be like a Q&A celebration episode. The questions can be, you know, anything related to anything we normally talk about. It doesn't have to be hundred episode related. But I'm telling you early, so if you want to submit something, you'll have all week to do that. I'll be recording the show. This episode comes out to everybody on Monday, and I'll be recording the um, the 100th episode on Saturday. So you basically have the work week, Monday through Friday, to submit anything you want. If you have a question you want to submit, the easiest way to do it would be to email it to me at tom at hi-my-name-is-tom.com. Wait, no, that's actually the wrong email address. You could use that one. That's like my main <laughs> email address, uh, which now you have. But you could also send it to Tom at enthusiasmproject.com. I would encourage you to use the Enthusiasm Project one because that is, uh, that's the one that's probably not going to get buried. If you send it to my main inbox, there's a very good chance it could get buried. But the podcast-specific one, Tom at enthusiasmproject.com, that uh, your message won't get buried in that one. And of course, I'll be posting a call for questions and stuff on Twitter and Instagram and, and probably YouTube community stuff. So keep an eye out for that if you want to submit things and then it all should be pretty good. Yeah, so we can dive in today. I have uh, I have sort of props over here next to me, which are um, a camera and basically my entire lens collection because we're going to be talking about cameras, but I'm also going to be throwing a little bit of shade, as the kids say, today. <laughs> so... Uh, and I was debating if this was something that I wanted to bring up and then I decided, yeah, it's probably something I should bring up because it's going to be hard for me to talk about these things without it. So in the past week, there have been two very big camera releases. 
which so if you're in an audio video photo audio yeah these cameras are big on audio if you're in a photo or video space you've probably heard about these and especially if you watch a lot of youtube or you yourself are a youtube creator you've probably also um you know seen these things so we're going to talk about these two releases and i have a lot of thoughts about both of them and uh we'll just sort of dive in so the first thing i'm using a new version of ecamm live ecamm 3.9 and it lets you make like screen share things super easily so right before i started recording i was able to put together this like side by side browser thing if you're watching the video version you'll know what i mean if you're not i sound like a crazy person <laughs> but anyway you can just see what i'm talking about basically what i have up is the dji website because dji uh, introduced the ronin 4d which can travel through time no the fourth dimension in this case is I guess basically the Z-axis. So it is a cinema camera, which is a new entry from... Actually, I missed it over here. It's a new entry from DJI to have a cinema camera. But they've also combined all of their like existing technology into, into this new thing. And so it's kind of cool to see this entry show up. And it sort of looks like... a it doesn't really look like anything else, which I think is cool. I think I've heard some people say that they really hate the way that it that it looks. Um, and I don't because... Oops, I don't want to watch a video. <laughs> I don't hate the way that it looks. I think it's cool and I think it's neat to see something that's sort of imagined a little differently. And I think DJI did something really smart with the Ronin 4D, which is that they... Um, the people that they gave it to to make videos for, at least in the YouTube space... They gave this to them like three months ago. Uh, I happen to know a couple of people who were lucky enough to get one and they had it for a really long time. So that's way cooler than just getting your your camera for, you know, a week or something and having to make a video, especially when it's something like this, which is this complicated. So DJI um, gave these things out like two or three months ago and people got to work on them and use them for a long time, which is great because then when you're seeing the videos and the reviews that people are putting out about this camera, you're seeing stuff that people got to, um, you know, to use. They know more about it than just sort of like, hey, I took this out of the box. I'm looking at it. Seems cool. I'm done. It's a little more in-depth than that. And I think that's great. And everybody I've known, I've never personally worked with DJI yet. Um, and I say yet because they did i did get to talk to them a few months ago they wanted to do like a gimbal thing but i don't like use gimbals a ton my channel's not about gimbals so i said no thanks they did not give me a ten thousand dollar cinema camera <laughs> um but everybody i do know who has worked with dji has had nothing but really good things to say about them and that makes me really happy so basically uh, it seems like they understand when they approach like a youtube creator to work with them why they're approaching them in the first place. And I've been saying for ages, this is how companies should do things. Instead of trying to do sponsored content by approaching someone and saying, hey, we want to you know, sponsor something on your channel, make this video, say these exact things, have these exact shots. Like you're just taking the person's creativity out of it, but it was the person that drew you there in the first place. So yeah, uh, DJI doesn't do that. They're, they, they're very good with like, here's the thing, make something fun with it. Uh, sometimes they pay creators, sometimes they don't. And of course, the creators should be upfront whether something is sponsored like that or not, I would hope. Um, but it seems like it's a great company to work for. 
or to work with, I should say. <laughs> Maybe they're good to work for. I don't know. Uh, and then they they make really cool stuff. And I do really like DJI products. It's been fun. I've been using them. What's the first one I used? The first one I ever used would have been the Phantom Two. I think it was like the Two Plus or something. It was the it was the Phantom Two that had its own camera. You didn't have to attach a GoPro to it. Um, and I had that at my first high school digital media program that I worked in. And it was neat because it was a really fun, cool thing. And what was really cool was I used that at work. I think that was 2014. And then in 2017, I bought my own Mavic Pro, the original Mavic. And it was really neat to see, not having used all the ones that came in between those, it was really neat to see how they had like, made things better. Everything from the way you charge the battery to the way stuff connects to, of course, the camera quality and the interface and all that kind of stuff just got better and better and better. And then the next Mavic that I used is the Mavic Mini, which is obviously like at a, at a different level. It's a very consumer level product, but it was still kind of the same thing. I saw further refinements on like, it's so easy to charge the battery. It's so easy to, you know, swap stuff out to update firmware uh, it You know, it's really cool. Like, I really like that when DJI takes a product and he, or a technology and evolves it, it really does seem to come from a place of, we did this after people actually used it. And this is like valuable, you know, real world kind of stuff. And a lot of that now is in the Ronin 4D, which is super cool because it's the camera side of things, like making a camera camera is new to DJI. But, you know, the battery power side of things, they've gotten really good at over the years. The the stabilization side of things, they've gotten really good at over the years. The interface usability stuff, they've gotten really good at. And a lot of that just came together on this to make something that doesn't look or work like anything else. And that's really cool. And you can, you, can, uh, you know, they're coming out with their own lenses. It's a full-frame camera, but you can also mount lenses from, what is it? You can mount E-mount lenses on it m mount dl you can you can also swap out um the actual lens mount on it so i believe you can mount canon lenses and everything to it and it seems like the the feedback that the 4d has gotten so far has been really good i know peter uh peter lindgren who you know we do our podcast together he's had it and he really really likes it and has said really great things about it and it's like it's such a cool usable thing. He also has like five videos about it on his channel. So you can go check those out if you want to see it in action. And he's been using it on like real projects and stuff, which is very, very cool. So I think it's going to, I definitely think it's going to impact and change the way things happen. Um, you know, the, the way these cameras are used and the way the technology is used a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to now bring up the the photo page on B&H photos so we can see a little bit more because uh, the DJI website just wants to like play videos and stuff but no I want to see the actual thing there now you can see it is expensive <laughs> so I will not be getting one anytime soon unless DJI wants to give me one which they probably won't after this episode because we haven't gotten there yet but super cool camera really neat to see what people do with this really neat to see where the technology goes um, and seems like the feedback has been, has been cool. I mean, really good on it has been, the feedback has been cool, but the, the 4D is, is very exciting. Couple of things though that I have noticed about it. 
uh, a lot of people, they seem to have the misconception of, oh, I don't want a camera that has a gimbal on it all the time because then I can't get shaky shots or handheld shots if I want to. And it seems like every video I've seen on this has addressed this, but maybe people just don't, don't pay attention. There is just like literally a button you press to lock the gimbal down and then it's just a normal camera. Like it's not, it's not moving, it's not doing anything weird. It just, you can do handheld shaky shots if you want. And then you flick a button and boop, the gimbal pops up. And because the camera that you're using is, is attached to the gimbal, it's not like you have to rebalance it or recalibrate it every time. Now, where I think things can get tricky is swapping out lenses. So DJI is making their own lenses, which by all accounts are really high quality and like they're really good lenses. And a cool thing about them is they're also very, very light which makes sense because they're on this gimbal. If you look at the camera, basically, you know, it looks almost like it's got a big square cinema body, but then it has the arm of a gimbal that kind of sticks out the front of it. And it makes sense that you would need the lenses that are mounting on that to be a little lightweight. But of course, you can change out the mount to mount on your existing lenses. But this is where I think there could be issues because if this camera is a cinema camera and people want to use their non-DJI lenses because as of now, like people do not have a collection of DJI lenses, but you want to mount, I have, you know, a Canon, this is what, a 16 to 35, which is a, a it's in the 24 to 105. These are fairly standard size zoom lenses, which are kind of big and kind of chunky. These are not cinema lenses, which are even bigger and chunkier. I don't know how a big heavy lens, especially like an actual cinema lens would work on this camera if it would like overload the gimbal or gimbal, <laughs> gimbal, uh, if it would overload the gimbal or be just sort of unwieldy or, or cause some kind of problem. So it'll be curious to see how those things work or if you really kind of do need to stick with DJI lenses to get the actual best results, which I kind of hope is not the case because that's going to be limited. Anytime you have to run multiple lens systems, it's not super fun. But uh, anyway, those are kind of, you know, that's the Ronin 4D. I think it's really cool to see something new come out that's probably going to push other companies and other cameras and stuff to do things that are a little different. Because sometimes you just need that outside perspective to sort of, oh, dang, you know, it seems like the feedback has been really good from people who have used it. Now, this is where things are going to not be as good. <laughs> this is what I was kind of debating on whether or not I actually wanted to talk about this. But I'm on right now I'm on the B&H product page and I didn't even realize this. The product page has like 30 photos of the Ronin 4D and has one photo that has people in it and it's a guy holding the camera filming another guy uh you know it looks very tough. It's like a hazy foggy action scene and uh you know it's very masculine the camera operator has shiny muscles and stuff. <laughs> like, I'm not exaggerating. He's like glistening while up edited anyway. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because this kind of ties back to something I've been talking about for over a year now, uh, which is DJI, a company that by all accounts is very wonderful to work with, a company that makes really good products, uh, has a massive blind spot which is ironic because so many of their products have sensors to avoid blind spots. But the company itself maybe could use a few extra of those sensors. For example, uh, this is what popped up. Let's put it this way. I noticed this in my feed this week. 
And I was thinking like, hmm, maybe I should say something about this. But I thought maybe it's not my place to say something about this. And then other people said things about it. So I was like, okay. So here is a tweet on Twitter, because where else would you find tweets? Uh, This was one of many, but this one's from Valentina V, who's a cinematographer. And she made a post that said, love these DJI Globe. Love these at DJI Global, but it seems like something is missing and I can't quite put my finger on it. Hmm. And it's a screenshot of her YouTube subscription feed when the Ronin 4D came out, which was an embargo release. DJI is one of the huge companies that, you know, releases stuff with embargoes. So you always get bombarded, embarded, bomb bombarded with videos about the same product when they come out. And... Uh, there's a bunch of them. So it's a screenshot of a bunch of Ronin 4D. This isn't even all of them. This is just like what she screenshot. Or I always wonder if the past tense of screenshot is screenshot. This is what she screenshot. And uh, basically what she's alluding to is that it's all dudes. Uh, as per usual, it's all dudes. And that's kind of a thing that happens a lot with DJI when they release what they call professional products. They do include female, like, okay, I think I'm jumping way ahead of myself here. So over a year ago, uh, I think it was when the Ronin, what is it? It's the R, I have it here, the RS2, like their next level of gimbal came out last year. There were a whole bunch of videos, there was an embargo release, and it was all dudes. And the thing with the Ronin 4D is it's a big, expensive cinema camera, so they actually didn't give too many of these out. They gave, like, you know, 10 of them out. The gimbal, way less expensive item. You know, they just hand those out to people all over the place. Uh, And there was still not a single female creator. I think maybe, like, three or four days after the embargo, I, Justine, posted a video, which I she's great. Like, I have nothing but admiration and, like, I think she's amazing, but I think a lot of times companies say like, here's a whole bunch of dudes. And then we also sent one to Justine. So we covered like the female base and it's like the one token female and that's not good enough. Like it just really isn't. And so Heather and I on an episode of the couple's table, we actually went and looked at DJI's website and surprise, surprise, it's actually not changed (laughs) in the last, uh, in the last year, which is kind of shocking to me. So if we go to DJI's website, or if you just go to DJI.com, what you'll notice is they they brand, uh, they separate their products into two categories. Consumer, well, actually they have a lot. Consumer, professional, enterprise, agriculture. But we'll look at consumer and professional. Because in the consumer line, that's where you have all the Mavics. That's where you have the Osmos. That's where you have the Phantoms, which I guess they still make. Even the FPV is in the consumer line. And then the professional lineup is where like the R4D is, the big heavy drones like the Inspire and all of their big gimbals and stuff like that. Now, as you go through those, what you'll notice is the predominant color on the professional side of things is black and the predominant color on the consumer side of things is white, not in terms of products, but in terms of product pages. And, you know, that's fine. Like you can come up with whatever color theory, whatever branding, whatever you want. And, you know, in a way it makes sense, like black is professional and white is, I I understand that. But it's also hard to argue that black is a masculine color, or isn't a masculine color, and white isn't a more feminine color. Why does that matter? You said, 
not thinking you listen to a color theory podcast today. Well, if we go to the Ronin RS2 page on DJI's website, uh, you can see it, the whole page is dark themed. But again, literally the, the main image is a dude holding the gimbal, filming another dude playing the drums. And they're in a smoky room with like concrete. It's a very masculine scene. And we scroll down a little bit. Uh, we see product shots, which, you know, that makes the most sense. Then we see close-ups of the product being used. You can't tell if it's a guy or a girl using it. Lots of product shots. Now we have more people using it. It's sort of that same setting, which is very industrial looking. And we have classical musicians playing instruments. There's a cello. Um, I think it was, a, no, it's a stand-up bass. And someone at the piano. Uh, seems like both dudes. And then also dude on camera. And then it's the gimbal filming cars, more dudes filming dudes, more dudes filming dudes. It's There's not a female on this page. Let's just put it that way. It's dudes and cars and classical instruments. Um, and, you know, the predominant color is black and dark. And it it's just that. So, okay. I think that's an oversight. Uh, there's not a single female represented on this product page at all. Believe it or not, girls actually do use camera gimbals. Unless they're just saying men are more unstable than women. Eh, okay. Um, but if we go here to the Osmo 4, which is the uh, the phone stabilizer. This actually isn't the one from this year. I'll kind of explain why. Uh, but this is one that came out last year, the OM4. So right away... It's a consumer product. You can see that the page is predominantly like it's much brighter. It starts with like video overlays. The videos are a girl picking it up out of her phone, a guy chasing a dog with it, some people running with kids, a guy doing um, food, girls running in nature. It's pretty evenly split between guys and girls in this. Um, although I think it's more females than dudes. And then we scroll down and... Everything is white and bright, which, okay, you could say like that's their consumer branding is to do things that are that are white. The product pages, there's some dudes using it, but there's a lot more women using it. Even the finger that's like tapping the screen has like colored nail polish on it. So you can assume that that's a woman. Uh, we go down here. What are we seeing here? We're seeing spin shot mode. That's There's nobody in that one. There's a girl filming her dog. There's just a hand filming some flowers. I can't tell if that's a, a guy or a girl. <laughs> and then there's a guy filming some scenery. Uh, we scroll down. There's more girl and dog. It looks like I'm going to go ahead and guess that a lot of the product shots that show a hand holding it, but you can't see the person. They look like women's hands. Could be a dude with nice hands, but they look like women's hands. And then... The main product shot down at the bottom of the page is the gimbal and its accessories sitting on a white table with literally some, like, plants. It's a very feminine looking. Like, it's clean, it's minimal, it's pretty, but it it's way more feminine than, like, a dude with shiny muscles in a smoking room filming a car or, you know, an action scene or something. Um, and to me, that's kind of hard not to notice that, and and uh, like this is where I was thinking that maybe I shouldn't be the person to talk about this as just like a white dude in his 30s. But 
Since other people started the conversation this year, I'm going to go ahead and continue on with it. I have, I've like, let's see. As a straight white dude in his 30s, even though I could say like, hey, here's all the different struggles that I've had to deal with in my life and all the different things that I've overcome, I think it's probably pretty clear that there are some privileges and advantages that I've had that I'm not even aware of that I've had, which could be anything from, uh, it could be stuff like just being treated differently, but not knowing that I'm being treated differently because that's just how things are from my experience versus like a person of color or a woman or something in, in whatever situation that I'm in. Um, so I'm aware, I'm very much aware of that. I'm also aware that when I want to do stuff, when I want to look up cameras on YouTube, when I was thinking of starting a YouTube channel many years ago, when I'm interested in something, it's not hard to find people who look kind of like me talking about and doing that thing. And I, I never really thought about that because I'm not really paying attention to that. I'm always paying attention to like the idea or the thing or the the knowledge being shared. But yeah, there's a lot of other people that kind of look like me in a way. I don't know what it would be like to, you could still go get, you know, great information from these sources. I'm not at all like saying anything negative about any other creators or anything like that. But say you're a woman or you're a person of color and the main sources that you go to look up stuff that you're interested in or to get information on, they happen to be like white dudes. I mean, maybe you're just used to that, but I don't know. Maybe it would on some subconscious level kind of feel nice to see someone who looks like you doing this stuff. And I bring that up because I keep thinking back to my high school students who through like the program that I was teaching and everything got interested in camera gear a lot. And I imagine them looking up, hey, I'm interested in gimbals. Maybe I'll look up a gimbal and they go to the DJI website and they don't know all the subtleties and all the nuances and everything because they're teenagers and they see certain pages have girls on them, certain pages only have guys on them. Like, is that going to subconsciously push you in one direction over another or tell you that something is for you, is not for you? I don't really know, but it seems like that's something that could happen. And it seems like it's so easy for a giant company to just do better and like just show a little more diversity. I mean, even like not even just gender, but like also not predominantly just white dudes uh, in stuff. And to be fair, when these products come out and a creator is part of an embargo, they, for the most part, as far as I know, I've never heard of a company that also tells you who else is being it like involved so that would mean a company would say hey we've got a product coming out do you want to test it out yes or no you say yes or no you do it they don't say hey we've got a product coming out here's a list of everybody we're sending it to you do you also want one and so on an individual level they just make the decision do i want to work with this company do i not and then they get the product and do the thing they don't know that like oh there's zero diversity happening here or there's zero representation happening uh and you know, I, I don't know what companies would do if you asked. Uh, I haven't personally yet been in a situation, and I probably <laughs> won't be given the opportunity to be in one if I keep saying things like this, but that's okay, uh, where, I, where I can ask. So, I you know, I don't do embargo release things, so it's not really an issue, but I don't know what would happen if you just asked a company, hey, yeah, before I do this, uh, can you just tell me, like, you don't have to tell me who, but, uh, you know, 
is there kind of a mix of genders doing stuff here? Is is there, you know, some diversity showing up? And the tricky part is, especially in the video photo world, if you just took like all of the YouTube video photo channels, I I think there are predominantly like guys making those channels. So there are fewer women in that space for whatever reason. And so part of that is like, well, it's, you know, the company then is just going to go to the main people. And if the main people happen to be dudes, it's just like kind of a thing that happens. But I think they could also burn some extra calories and find other creators because going back to the Ronin 4D, if you look at the the channels that got it, they range anywhere from like, I don't know, one to 200,000 subscribers to millions of subscribers. So it's, that's a pretty wide range. And then I look at certain people like uh, I didn't see, I, <laughs> I hate to just like the token like tech women, but I didn't see anything from Sarah Dietschy who has, you know, heading up on a million. I didn't see anything from uh, Justine's sister, Jenna, who has almost a million subscribers and is also very, you know, influential and interested in the photo video space. And I know like maybe it's they're looking for filmmakers specifically, but I didn't see like Heather from fellow filmmaker in there. And I don't know who DJI did and didn't approach. I don't know who said yes, who said no. I don't know who they sent something to that then didn't end up actually making a video. So there's all those kind of caveats there. Maybe they did ask five different female creators, but all of them didn't make a video for some reason, which would be weird. And the fact that this has happened now, I mean, you can go back through every DJI product release and sort of see what happens. When they release a consumer product like a drone or a smartphone gimbal, you can bet there's going to be female creators in there. When they release a professional product like a Ronin gimbal or the Ronin 4D or something, only guys. And you can go back to every product release and look at the videos that came out for that product and you can see that. It's like I'm not... It's happened too many times for it to just be a random thing of like, well, the female creators we approached just didn't... They flaked out on us. Like, no, that didn't happen like 12 times. That just doesn't make sense. Like, that's not possible. And so, you know, trying to understand this, we've gone way away from just talking about the camera, but trying to understand this, I don't think that there's something malicious happening. I don't think that there's a company that's trying to actively, like, not represent people. I think when it comes to the marketing side of things, they reach out to people who seem like good fits. And a lot of times it's the same people over and over again, because if you think about it from the company's perspective, they're sending out a product, they're asking for something in return, maybe they're paying the person, maybe they're not. And they're also trusting someone to, you know, keep their non-disclosure agreement and not just go brag about this new thing that's coming out months in advance. So once they have those people that they can count on that are easy to work with, that deliver good results, that, you know, follow all the rules and stuff... I think when it comes time to do stuff, they just kind of keep turning to those same people over and over again. I know I did that when I was a teacher because I was a career tech teacher. We had to work a lot with like outside businesses, organizations for internships and events and, you know, mock interviews and stuff like that. And I definitely had my little stack of business cards or my little like, you know, contact sheet of every time there was a new event, I'm just going to keep reaching out to these same people because I can count on them. It would be great every once in a while I could find someone new, but you know, I was busy. I just wanted to get this taken care of. I knew who I could count on and I would just turn to them over and over and over again. And I think there's probably an element of that being what's happened. But I think that 
now that this is something that has been brought up over and over and over again, with DJI specifically, it's probably a good idea if they maybe spent a little more time seeking out more representation in all of their product releases, not just consumer stuff, but in the professional world of things. Like, you know, just shine a light on other people besides not just the same people because they do a great job. Everybody who made the... Everybody who made their R4D videos did a great job. I'm not trying to say anything negative or criticize any of those creators, but that's also not representative of everybody in the world who likes using cameras or wants to be a filmmaker or is interested in this stuff. And I don't think it would be that hard to just build a new relationship with a more diverse creator base. And uh yeah, so since that conversation brought up got brought up again, I figured I would chime in. I made some noise about it last year and you know, and then other I've seen like it get brought up over and over again, and now this this year it seemed like with the um the R4D maybe because it's also a really desirable product where there's people who are kind of like, "Hey, this is totally up my alley. Why was I not even approached for this at all?" You know, that kind of sucks, and I wish that uh I wish that they would just do better with that. And I hope that they do. And the reason I mentioned earlier, the reason I didn't show the Osmo Mobile 5 page, if we go to the OM5 page on DJI's website, it's still got the white background, very consumery. Um, and literally the first image is a girl taking it out of a purse. But then there's a dude using it. But they kind of changed to more of the Apple. They actually basically just copied an Apple product page, honestly which is like, it's much more product focused. And as you scroll down the page, like the product moves and you see stuff. So there's far fewer people on here. Although it's it's really just the same guy and a girl over and over again. So I guess that's even because it's one guy. And, oh, two girls, two guys, three girls. I don't know. It's it's mostly product focused. So they, they seem to be leaning more towards like, well, instead of showing a guy or a girl specifically, we'll just show the thing, which is, you know, if you go to like, I'll show you, show you an example right now. We'll go to Apple and we'll go to, I don't know. I mean, let's go to an iPhone page, right? Because iPhones are popular. Here's the iPhone 13 Pro. We scroll down and we just see all kinds of info about the product, all kinds of product shots. We're not really seeing, we haven't seen a single person. Here's some fingers playing piano. There's two people acting as models for the camera. And I think it looks like a movie or something. So there's the only people here are people being models basically to show off the camera. And it seems to be like literally diverse. There's like different skin colors, different genders, uh, not a lot of different ages. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to be like hypercritical. Like you didn't have somebody who represented every possible person in the world. Cause that, you know, at a certain point it just becomes impossible to do everything, but just remembering that there's more than, you know, white dudes in their 30s out there who like cameras. And I say this as a white dude in his 30s who uh, is, I'm by saying focus on us less, I am hurting my chances at being involved in these things, but that's fine. I don't care. Um, so anyway, anyway, uh, moving on to the next subject. I just, I just think that inclusion is important and I, I kind of... 
I kind of oscillate in this in this space where it's like I've heard people get upset over stuff like Apu on The Simpsons being voiced by a non-Indian actor. And I kind of think that that's at a certain point, it's sort of kind of ridiculous, in my opinion, because, you know, there's nothing malicious happening there. It was like a low budget show and they got like a person to do a voice 30 years ago. And at a certain point, if what you're saying in those situations is every actor has to be exactly the person, you know, if you want like a, you know, gay Spanish character, you can only use a gay Spanish actor. Isn't the point of acting that like people are like acting? If you're just casting the exact person, like, I don't know, it's weird. Anyway, I don't need to get in the weeds too much here because I don't want to make people mad, but... I just like it when people get included. I don't like it when people are excluded. And it sounds so silly to talk about stuff like, oh, this is a product page on a website. Like, it's going to discourage someone from doing something. But let me tell you that, like, working with high school students for 10 years, I saw lots of little things firsthand. Things that many of us who maybe aren't in a formative stage of life where, you know, older, crustier or whatever, maybe you kind of forget how much that stuff, it kind of really does impact you in a big way. Uh, the students that I worked with were predominantly Hispanic. And if there was a time that like they could learn from someone who like also spoke Spanish, even if it was an English workshop or an English video, if the person just had the accent or could throw in like a little bit of something or a reference. I really saw like a different connection form because the students recognized things that were more familiar to their experiences rather than something that was totally unfamiliar. Cause you know, like it just, I think that it matters. And I think that it, it can, if you're exploring something new even on a subconscious level, when you see someone who reminds you of you in some way, whether that's gender, orientation, age, race, whatever, doing the thing, it probably does tell you, hey, you could do that too. When you only see people who look nothing like you doing it, it probably on some level makes you feel like, oh, this isn't for me. And it really sucks when you feel discouraged and that something isn't for you, especially when it's something that's so easy to fix because it's literally just like a marketing department could put together different graphics or something. Speaking of marketing departments and going in the opposite direction, going into the direction of a, of a company that <laughs> does not discriminate because when a new product comes out, they just have everybody on earth, it seems like, talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about the Sony a 7 So if we go to... Uh, to my YouTube subscription feed from this past week, you can see this is just chronological uh, older videos at the bottom, newer videos at the top. We can see older videos. So this is, you know, just sort of normal videos. And then suddenly we see the Sony a7 IV. I mean, just in my feed, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, uh 15 16 17 i'm counting at least 17 videos on the release day <laughs> that's a lot uh and the you know as much as i'm not an embargo fan i got to give sony credit because everybody's here you have younger people older people 
uh, people of color, you have guys, girls, everybody. It seems like it, it seems like that's Sony's philosophy is they don't really care who you are. They just want you to use Sony stuff, which like in a way I like. It's almost it's like their quest for global domination is they just want everyone to be using their stuff. They're it, It's like, I don't know. I like it. And I think that that's cool. So the Sony a7 IV came out. We're not going to criticize Sony's, uh, you know, Sony's uh, gender thing. I guess we could go to their product page. Let's see. Sony a7 IV. Uh, let's see. if I haven't actually looked it up on Sony's page to see what their product pages even look like. It just kind of looks like a B&H like sales page. There's no people involved. It's just, it literally looks like the B&H sales page. So anyway, now we know, which is in a way fine. Then there's no question. It's just like, it's a camera. Do you like cameras? This is a camera. Okay. Uh, anyway, we've got the Sony a7 IV, which has been a long awaited rumored camera. As I'm becoming more and more familiar with Sony cameras, this one's super interesting because it's... Um, it's, you know, it's still a pricey camera. I know some people are upset about the price. It's $2,500. And people are saying like, that's like way too expensive for the entry level camera, but it's not their entry level camera. It's their entry level model of their like pro level cameras, if that makes sense. Because entry level, they still have like the A6000 series. They still have the ZV-E10 cameras under $1,000, right? Like those are the more entry level cameras this is more of like a pro semi pro level camera and it's the lowest entry in that range and $2,500 while being a lot of money isn't super absurd for this like price range of camera they're targeting it obviously directly at the Canon R6 which is very similarly priced the R6 has been out a year longer and, you know, I don't remember what the a7 III cost when it first came out. I don't think it was 2500 but, you know, prices always go down. So it's like, it wouldn't surprise me if in the next year or so, the Canon R6 kind of started to hover around $2,300. And in a year or so, the a7 IV maybe hovers around that as well. And then as time goes on, it'll probably dip down closer to like $2,100, $2,000, stuff like that. That's just kind of how it, how stuff normally works. And usually... As you probably know, if you're someone who follows cameras, companies don't release new cameras constantly. They There's usually a lot of years between specific models being updated, usually somewhere between, what, three to five years between a, a certain model. I think the a7 III came out in 2017? 2017 would make it four years. I think that's what it was. Uh, yeah, so I think that's that's what it is because the... The R5 came out in 2020, which I guess you could consider the replacement for the 5D Mark IV, which came out in 2016. So four years. Yeah, I think that's about normal. Uh, anyway, the thing, uh, the things to point out here are just that uh, it's a cool camera. And this is something that I like. I've talked about this before with Sony, is that they have no problem differentiating their cameras. So with Canon, the thing that, sounds great is they make every one of their dslr and mirrorless cameras they market it as a hybrid camera so it does photo and it does video and that sounds cool except that canon leans heavily towards the photo side of things and while they do have great video features in their cameras here's my eos r i it's a great video camera and a great photo camera 
um, because photo and video technology can be contradictory, for example, megapixels. A higher megapixel sensor is better for photography. You get higher resolution photos. A lower megapixel sensor is actually sometimes better for video because you get a you get cleaner image, better low light performance, and less rolling shutter. I'm not talking like one or two megapixels, but it's why the Sony A7S III has a 12 megapixel sensor is because that's just happens to be basically the perfect resolution for 4K video, which is one of the reasons why the camera's image is so good and it doesn't have any overheating issues. Then you look at something like the Canon R5, which has a 45 megapixel sensor, great for, fo- great for photos, great for video quality, also serious overheating because you have this huge high resolution sensor and every, you know, what was it? Somewhere between 24 and 60 times a second, it's trying to take info from that sensor and convert it into a video frame. And that generates a lot of heat from all that processing power. The EOS R that I'm holding right here has a 4K crop because the reason for that is because you're just using that basically 12 megapixel slice of the 30 megapixel sensor that's in here. And that's why the 4K doesn't overheat. And then people hated the crop. The thing with Canon is anytime they 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 claim to, I know it sounds like I'm just criticizing Canon, but I am really frustrated, as you probably know, with some of the stuff that they, some of their choices. When they're making their cameras, if they want everything to be hybrid, that sounds awesome. But anytime that it comes to like, well, we need to make a decision and something's going to have to compromise. Do we compromise the photo capabilities? Do we compromise the video capabilities? They will always lean to compromise the video and protect the photo. And obviously, as I've said in the past, that probably makes sense because Canon, you know, I'm sure they have all the research in the world to show that their primary customer base are photographers and that's who they're going to look after. And to put credit where credit's due, Canon makes like perfect photo cameras. I mean, perfect to different degrees, I guess, for different needs. But if you're looking at like the R5, 6, and 3, 3, 5, and 6, I mean, depending on if you want to do like, you know, landscapes versus sports or something, those are basically perfect photo cameras, but they all have some sort of video compromise, even though they have really good, it's not that they're bad video cameras, like obviously not, but they all have some sort of compromise, whether it's overheating or in outports or weird internal stabilization that wobbles all over the place. There's like, there's some kind of compromise there. And I bring that up because I think Sony, at least with their like seven series cameras, which are their, I mean, those are professional level cameras, semi-pro to pro level cameras. They have no problem differentiating them. I believe I'm still learning the Sony ecosystem, but I believe something like the Sony A1 is what they're trying to put as like, this is a perfect hybrid camera that does everything, but it's also like, I don't know what, $6,000 or something. So we're looking at cameras, the seven series cameras range from, you know, what is the A7 III, $1,800, $2,000 up to 35-ish hundred dollars, that price range there. And they just sort of differentiate them. So you have the A7S, which is a video-centric camera that has some photo capabilities, but it's much better at video. You have the A7R, which has 
a photo-centric camera, but it has some video capabilities, but it's way better photos. And you have the A7, which is the one that's a hybrid of photo and video. It's going to be a better video camera than the A7R. It's going to be a better photo camera than the A7S, but it's not going to be better at photos than the R or better at video than the S. So it's compromising in some areas. And that's just, you know, that's like, that's just how it has to be. But I feel like they're upfront with that enough that it's not, it's not Canon saying like, this is a perfect camera. And then when you find limitations, you're like, wait, what? I don't, why are there limitations? Sony's just like, here's a hybrid camera and it's got compromises because it's a hybrid, because that's what kind of the definition of hybrid is. You're sort of just smashing two things together and compromising. And I think that that works. So you kind of know then what you want to get. And I've learned this with my GoPro Hero 10 video that I put out, because in that video, I know it was risky to say that I think the GoPro Hero 10 is perfect. And I know people don't necessarily agree with that. But some of the responses I've been getting are like, you know, I had one person talk to me about nanobots and we have nanotechnology and the camera should have nanobots to do something and and people saying that the camera should be able to do up to 8K with no overheating and it should be the size of the GoPro Hero session and it should like... Yeah, that would be cool. But there's also like uh, physics where stuff just is not physically possible to happen or even if it were possible to make that, then this little action camera would cost like $6,000. So it doesn't make any sense. Like we're talking about a several hundred dollar action camera. It's perfect for what it is. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. You're looking at a $2,500 hybrid photo video camera. No, it doesn't have the highest resolution sensor. No, it doesn't have you know 4K 120 and all this stuff. But it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it has some pretty bad rolling shutter, but that's because you wanted that higher, the higher um, megapixel count, so it'd be a better photo thing. Like, you know, you have to kind of decide. I, I don't need, as I counted, there's 17 launch day videos, not to mention the videos that come out afterwards. So if you want to know the subtle differences between the a7 IV and other cameras, you know, there's other resources out there. You don't need me. But... Um, I think it's a cool camera. I'm glad that they updated it. It's really funny, though, because it's it reminds me of last week, Apple also updated MacBooks, which people have been asking for for a long time. And in a very unlike Apple move, they gave people literally everything they asked for. It'd be interesting to see when people start getting the computers, like, you know, is there something, was there something that wasn't mentioned? But it's like people were asking for more ports, better battery life, uh, you know, get rid of touch bar. All that. Apple did like literally everything. They backtracked multiple design decisions, which they've like never done before. And uh, for the most part, it actually seems like people are pretty happy, but there's also people who are like, well, we want the, the, we don't care about this obsession with thinness. We want the computer to be powerful. The pro level computers aren't actually pro level. We want all the ports back. We want to do that. And Apple was like, okay, cool. Here's a thicker computer a little bit, uh, but it's got way better battery life, better display. All the ports are back. uh, And it's got these insane processors. So it's like legitimately any way you look at it, it's a pro level machine. And then people are like, yeah, but no, it's, it's thick again. It's like, it's not, but also will you just never be happy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, at a certain point, and that's kind of what the a7 IV reminds me of, where um, people were looking at the a7 III, you know what it is, right, if you look at, like, the a7S II and a7R, I don't know, R2, R3, something like that, 
whatever the two cameras that it was a hybrid of at the time, you're like, hey, it's a hybrid of these two cameras. It's pretty good at a lot of stuff, but it's not excellent at some other things. Why wouldn't the 7.4 be the updated version of that? And then it came out and Sony's like, hey, here's a camera. It's got some really cool features, new body, you know, uh, new design stuff, some improvements here and there, still some limitations. And people are like, what? Like, why, why is it limit? Like, people are shocked that it is exactly what it was supposed to be. <laughs> oh, I just don't feel bad for product designers when it comes to that kind of stuff because you'll never make everybody happy. I think it's a cool camera. But the thing that I actually wanted to talk about the most today well, were three things about the a7 IV that I find very fascinating. Um, one of them is the, the fact that Sony is now doing what Canon has been doing since they started making mirrorless cameras. And that is when the camera is off, the shutter is protected. Or sorry, the sensor is protected by the shutter. It's great. So you can change your lenses and no dust is getting on your sensor. And then when you turn on the camera, then the shutter opens and you see the sensor, you turn off the camera and then the shutter closes and it's protected. Sony has not done that. So you open up a Sony camera, which also just because of the lens mount, like the RF mount, there's a lot of distance in here between the edge of the camera and inside where the sensor is. The Sony cameras, it's just a much more shallow lens mount. So there's no distance there, which just means the sensor is even like closer to being exposed. And it's so easy to get dust and dirt on those. And I have been wanting them to start implementing that because I think it's a brilliantly simple solution. And they finally did. I think the ZV-E10 does it as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure if the A1 does it, but the A7 IV does it. And I think that's awesome. And there's a setting in the menu that lets you turn it on or off if you want that or you don't want that. So that's really, really cool with the A7 IV. Uh, a couple other things that I wanted to point out here are, let's see, I'll share my screen. Uh, so the A7 IV, for the most part, if you didn't know, it's it's essentially the same body as the A7S III, the camera that I'm filming this on right now. But there's some subtle changes. For example, there's a 4 where there's an S3 <laughs> logo. Um, but the dials are different up here. So they they changed the, the mode dial instead of having like a push and twist mode dial like the A7S III does. They have... Um, a mode dial on top and then a selector on the bottom to go to photo video and S and Q mode, which is slow and quick mode. That's very cool. It reminds me a lot of um, Canon finally brought this back on the R3, which I'm happy to see. And Canon used to have a little selector on their cameras, like all of their DSLRs for years and years had this until the EOS R came out and they got rid of it. But it was just a little switch as a record button on the back of the camera and then a little switch for photo, a little switch for video. And it was like the, it's like the best solution. I'm very happy they brought that back. This sort of seems to be Sony's take on that. I don't think it's as elegant as Canon's solution, but it's really cool. I don't really care about that though. Uh, I'm happy with the way that my that the a7s3 works the cool thing about this though i should say i guess is that sony has three custom settings on the mode dial which is really neat and it's super easy to just switch between your custom things you know can other camera manufacturers have a custom stuff too but now if you're in photo mode you have three custom settings if you're in video mode you have three custom settings and if you're in slow and quick mode you have three cuts so you have nine custom settings on the dial, which is very cool um, I think that's neat. 
But a big thing, though, is this little dial right over here, which is the, or formerly was the exposure compensation dial. My A7S III has this. It's got a little clicky button. It's so fun to click because it's like it locks in the middle. It's like, it's the perfect little clicky sound. It's so tactile. It's great. Like they made, if they made like a fidget cube or something that had that clicker on it, it would be wildly successful. And then there's just a dial that you turn. Uh, on previous Sony cameras, that's been the exposure compensation dial. So if I bring up the product page for the Sony A7S III right here, and we look at the top of the camera, you can kind of see what I'm talking about. It's just right here. You, there's things for exposure. The problem is, if you shoot in manual, this dial becomes useless. It literally does nothing. And it's the only button slash dial on the entire Sony camera that you can't customize. Sony's really good about letting you customize like everything almost any way you want, but that dial you cannot customize. So instead what they did now is with the a7 IV, they brought up that dial, they took away the markings on it, and now it's just blank, and now you can customize it. So you can change it, you could change it to ISO. I've been wanting to have it as audio levels because it would be great to be able to unlock it, turn the audio up or down. It has these nice little incremental clicks, so it could be like your audio goes up a few clicks, down a few clicks, and then you push the button to lock it and now it won't get bumped or changed again. That's what I've been wanting. Um, but anyway, you could set it to whatever you want and that's pretty cool. And um, I'm happy to see that there. And then the other thing that they added in with the a7 IV is some of Sony's lenses, especially their prime lenses, which are really good uh, in their high-end prime lenses, have focus breathing issues, which... I shouldn't, it's probably not even fair to call it an issue, but they focus breathe, which basically means if you watch, you might even notice it on the, the lens that I'm using right now for the video version of this. If you watch the edge of the frame as subjects move and the camera focuses, it almost looks like the camera's zooming in and out just a little bit. So instead of just focusing from one object to the next, it kind of looks like the camera's like zooming in and out a little bit. And that's just as the camera's focusing, things are moving and that's happening a bit. Happens a lot with prime lenses. The reason I said I shouldn't call it an issue is because I think as far as I understand it, it's it's back to like physics problems, right? It's if you want this lens to be this sharp with this many elements and do these things, this is something that's going to happen. And it kind of is what it is. But the a7 IV has a focus breathing. I'm pointing at my EOS R like it's an, <laughs> like it's an a7 IV. But it has a... Um, focus breathing compensation setting in the menu, which is great. So you turn that on. And what that means is uh, it kind of crops in just a little bit, but it, it's enough to like hide and adjust that focus breathing. And it seems to work really well. And the reviews that I've seen on it are pretty excellent. And people seem to like that quite a bit. And that's cool. And I know it, it always sucks when things have to crop in a little bit, but I think the crop is so minor that it's not really going to negatively affect anything. And the payoff of now having no lens breathing on these lenses is really cool. So that's awesome. I think those are great, great features. Uh, all of those features, I guess, other than maybe the shutter thing, are unique to the a7 IV. Here's why those are interesting to me. Uh, those are pretty much my main complaints with the a7 S III that I have. It just so happened that like those, the other complaint I have is the LCD display itself which has not changed. Um, I think we've talked about this in the past, but Sony's displays on the back of the cameras are not great. Um, like they're fine. They look okay. 
they're all these weird like three inch four by three aspect ratio displays and the sony's interface i don't know if this is a display thing or an interface thing but like the touch sensitivity is not amazing and the the settings that you can actually touch like when canon does a touch a touch interface on their thing everything is now controllable by touch so whatever you want to change you know if you want to change your iso you just tap on the iso and then you slide it back and forth and and there you go Sony is like, some things are touch, but other things are not. And you kind of never remember like which one is. And it should it should just be like like this. Um, you can also notice this is the camera I'm holding is the EOS R from 2018 is when this was released. The display here is higher resolution than basically any of the Sony cameras now. And it's a widescreen display. So this on a camera that costs less than any of the Sony cameras, in the case of my a7S III, less than half of that camera, and came out over three years ago, has a significantly better display than the Sony cameras do. But that can't be fixed with like, you know, that that's a physical thing that has to be addressed. That's my other big complaint. Otherwise, it was kind of these things are the complaints, and I'm really happy to see them addressed in the a7 IV. Now, the reason that that's interesting to me is because I I know that it's easy to like armchair quarterback product designers and say like, well, this should have all these other things over here. Kind of like the people who are saying GoPro should have nanobots and stuff. So I, I understand that when people work on something, they put a lot of time, energy, effort. There's reasons behind decisions. However, the a7 IV has virtually the same body as the a7S III, has virtually the same menu system, as the a7s3 and has some of these really nice quality of life features that the a7s3 doesn't i haven't been a sony user long enough to know how they handle firmware updates so far have not been any updates since i've gotten my a7s3s in may so it's may june july august September, october five months nothing um it seems like canon with the r5 and the r6 they're more current cameras it seems like they're releasing firmware updates I don't know what, every three or four months, maybe there's one, five months. So a little more frequently, granted, feels like they have a little more to fix with those cameras. So maybe they needed to. Um, but I'm curious if Sony will do the same thing. And I'm glad because when all those embargo videos drop, there's usually only two that I watch. I watch Peter Lindgren because we're friends and his are fun. And he does such a good job of like, hey, this is what the thing is like in a real life workflow. And then of course, I watch Gerald and Dunn who... I know is going through a creator like transition right now where he doesn't want to feel tied down and typecast as much. But when it comes to his reviews, just like the a7 IV, which is still sort of a classic style review, obviously that's going to be pretty much the most thorough technical thing. I've even seen Sony share Gerald's videos instead of their own content to explain how products work. So I figure that's a pretty good endorsement. So those are usually the two I watch. And I bring up Gerald specifically because in his a7 IV review he talks about some of these features and then he looks directly in the camera and he says and sony you better put these in an update for the more expensive cameras and it's like a very stern tone and clearly sony pays attention to the kinds of things that he says and i'm really really happy that he did that because i agree 100 and i have zero sway <laughs> with sony so maybe i can't imagine it would be that hard to make a firmware update for the a7s3 the A1, I don't know, whatever other models might be applicable, at least those two, that bring these features to it, that bring the shutter 
right now in the a7s3 there's the shutter stays open when the camera's off there should be a setting where you can turn it on and when i turn off the camera boop the shutter closes there's a shutter in there there's some kind of line of code that is telling it to stay open when the camera's off can't you switch that line of code that's like when camera off shutter closed if this then that like I know I'm not, a, I, I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but I don't think it's that much more complicated than that, especially for a company with the resources of Sony, especially because they've already implemented this feature on a camera that uses the exact same body, right? And then the other thing being the focus breathing, same thing, that's a software thing specifically because that's the camera like processing, cropping. It might be harder to crop in on the A7S three because it is a lower resolution sensor. However, if steady shot can crop in, because when you need to do active steady shot, it crops in so it can stabilize. It's probably no reason that focus breathing compensation couldn't crop in as well. That would be amazing. And then the the button, the last thing is that button, that exposure compensation button, the most tactilely satisfying button on the entire camera. But because I shoot in manual, and if anyone else who shoots in manual the most useless button and dial on the camera. That should be a customizable option as well. All of those things can be added via firmware. And I don't know, there could be other things too that need to be added and updated. I'm sure there's little tweaks and things. So maybe I would like to think that Sony's like kind of saving up all these changes, the stuff I mentioned and other things that I didn't even think about. And then they will release those hopefully in the near future as a firmware update. I understand when companies like, if this were flipped, if the more expensive cameras had these features and the cheaper cameras didn't, even though intellectually I would like it to go, or maybe even, I don't want to say ethically, but at a certain level I would like to say, hey, if you can do this here, why not do it with this less expensive thing? I at least understand why a company might go, hey, we don't want to do that because then people won't buy that camera. <laughs> um, people won't buy the more expensive camera because think of those features on a cheaper camera. But this is the reverse of that. This is saying, hey, make the more expensive cameras have these same features as the less expensive camera. So why not, Why not? if anything, it would just push people towards that. Because if you're someone, I know it's silly to think that any of those could be deciding factors, but you never know depending on workflows, especially the lens thing. If you're somebody who does a lot of work outside and you change your lenses a lot and you're very tired of having specks of dust on your sensor, because you change your lenses, even when you try to be as quick and careful as possible, it's just something that's going to happen. Having that sensor be protected could be huge. Getting a speck of dust on your sensor in a photo is not really a big deal because it's easy to take out, brush out, but on a video, really frustrating. So I could see someone who spent years being frustrated with sensor dust, no matter how careful they are, actually making the decision to get the cheaper camera that has that feature over the more expensive camera that doesn't just for that kind of quality of life thing. And then the other thing is for me personally, which let's face it, Sony, they only care about my opinion because they definitely are aware that I exist. To me, this chance for them to update their cameras, their cameras that have been out for a year or so with a firmware update that brings some of this new functionality to them is their micro HDMI port. And what I mean by that is in Canon's new cameras, the R3, 5, and 6, giant bodied cameras, especially the R3. We've talked about the HDMI port previously. There's no reason for those cameras to have micro HDMI. I don't care if they're photo first cameras. 
there, there's no reason for it. The A7S three, which is smaller than all of them, has a full-size HDMI port. The A7 IV, which is smaller and cheaper than all of them, has a full-size HDMI port. The EOS R and every other Canon DSLR mirrorless camera prior to those has a mini HDMI port, which is at least a little bit better. Micro HDMI sucks. It's completely unreliable. It's, it's awful to use. And the only reason that I can think Canon put it in those cameras is literally it is kind of a middle finger to videographers because it's just telling you if you really want video features, go to the cinema series, get a C-series camera because they all have full-size HDMI. And I know that might sound like an exaggeration, but I don't think that it is because there's no other reason for that to be there other than that for Canon to be protecting their cinema series which they've said, I've heard Canon executives in interviews say like, we would never cripple a product to protect a different product line, which is totally just not true. Like they've done it many times. Um, And to me, when I hear an executive, much like when I hear a politician say like, there's no way I would ever do this. To me, it means that's exactly what you're doing then. Um, Because otherwise you wouldn't feel the need to say that. So to me, that's Canon just being dumb with their product design and trying to go like well we don't want someone to buy the r5 and be happy for video we want to push them into the c series cameras which is so baffling because even the r3 has micro hdmi this giant camera and if you want a full frame cinema camera you got to go to the c500 and that's as we talked about before it's like a ten thousand dollar camera so there's not like it's not like sony get the a7r get the a7s ones for photo ones for video but they're like the same price and you just decide what your needs are, you're you're sort of stuck. And every once in a while, there are rumors of like the Canon R5C, the, the cinema version of a camera that's supposedly supposed to come out early 2022. To me, that's too little too late. Um, we'll have to wait and see what it is. But it's like, that's really frustrating to people who, it's just really frustrating to the video side of things. So <sighs> the reason that I bring that up is There's no reason that a company like Sony with the resources, the technology, and these features in the body of a camera that's basically identical to a higher-end camera that does not have these features, there's no reason that they couldn't create a firmware update to bring those features to that still current camera. Like, I know it's a year old, the A7S III and stuff, but it's still a current camera. It's still one of their flagship models. There's no reason they couldn't bring those things to it. If they do it would make me feel so good (laughs) Uh, just to know that they're actually listening to their users, that they care about making the products as good as they can be, that I'm not just stuck frozen in time when I buy something and it's like whatever year it was when I bought something or year it was when you started developing the product, that's the year I'm stuck in when I'm using it, that you're actually going to, much like the Rodecaster Pro constantly gets updated with different firmware things, I would love it if Sony did that as well if they don't that's why i say it's a micro hdmi port it's like when canon was designing the r5 the r6 and the r3 and it came time to do the io ports and it was like okay what are we putting in here we need some sort of hdmi are we doing micro mini or full size the decision to go with mini was like the cruelty is the point kind of scenario it's too dissuade videographers from being content with this model and push them to a higher end model. And it's dumb because they could have just done full size HDMI in any of those cameras, but they didn't. And that 
even though it seems really small, that made me lose a lot of respect for Canon and that kind of stuff. Whereas now Sony's in a similar situation. Hey, we could bring these new features to an existing camera. Do we or do we not? If they do, lots of happy feelings and respect. If they don't, then I'll just, I I expect to be disappointed by, you know, companies in these situations. And when anytime you're asking someone to do anything that might possibly like, I don't know, anytime you're asking someone to do anything that involves giving up money or power, I have very little faith that it will happen. And so if you're asking Sony to make an older quote unquote product better, I don't know if, if there's any reasoning that that might hurt the purchase of new products. I don't know that I have faith that it will happen, but I would love for it to happen. So much so that I dare say that would give me the confidence to not necessarily sell all of my Canon gear, but not buy any more Canon gear. Uh, because I just, I did just, I don't have a lot of lenses. That's, that was why I had all this stuff over here at the beginning of the show today is I don't have a lot of lenses. I have right now in front of me, five, I have six camera lenses total, which is a decent number of lenses. Uh, keeping in mind that I got my first interchangeable lens in 2007. So um, it's not really a massive lens collection. I have the 24 millimeter Sony GM lens that's on the camera right now. And then I've got the 24 millimeter Sigma 1.4 with the Canon mount. So that, you know, that has been my main lens for a number of years. And then when I got the Sony, I wanted to stick with 24. So I got the Sony 24. Still use the Sigma all the time um, on my EOS R's. I've also got the Canon RF 50mm 1.8, which is, what is that, it's $200 lens. That's a great lens. Um, it's so sharp. It looks so good. And because that's good, I got the Sony 50mm 1.8, which is another sub $200 lens. And it's okay. It's not nearly as good as the Canon RF. I can objectively tell you like the Sony's always looks a little soft and a little, it looks like I'm adapting an old like 1970s 50 millimeter lens, which is a cool look in some cases. But if you just want like crisp, sharp, the Canon blows it away. Um, and then I've got the Canon 24 to 105. I bought this used from somebody 10 years ago, something like that. Um, this is a great lens though, 24 to 105, super useful. And then I've got the Canon 16 to 35, which I guess I've had for three and a half years now. Um, this is the F4 version. And this was when I started doing YouTube a lot. And I was like, oh, I need like a Y. It's 16 to 35. Everyone needs that. And this one has IS, so I got that. And I actually don't use it that often. It's a good lens, but I don't use it that often. Point being, um, so my Canon lenses are basically these four lenses here, the 50, 24, 16, 35, 24, 105. And I did order a new lens this week, which is something not like any of these. It is the Surui 50 millimeter anamorphic lens because we'll talk about that later. Um, but I had to decide, do I want the RF mount or do I want the E mount? And I went with the Sony mount for that. Um, so my point being, as someone who has been a Canon user for a really long time and really likes Canon cameras, really likes Canon, really wants Canon to succeed, my frustration with Canon is seeing them 
continually make dumb decisions when it comes to video stuff. I'm frustrated by that because I want them to succeed. And branching out into Sony, where so far my experience has actually been really, really good. And it's like, oh, wow, here's a product that just sort of all of those ceilings that exist in Canon land just don't exist in Sony land. And it's like, you kind of gave me everything I needed as the the you, video was not an afterthought. I'll just put it that way. And that's been great. So I've been sort of straddling like, wow, I'm kind of liking this more than I expected. If then on top of that, Sony turns out to be a company that's like, we want to continue to support our customers and our products uh, for a long time after this when they buy stuff and make things better and better, just the way Rode does with the Rodecaster and stuff. I mean, that be still my heart. Like you, you have won me over <laughs> Sony. And that's, you know, as a multi-billion dollar corporation, winning me specifically over should be your main goal. Anyway, boy, we really went to some places today. I feel like I got a little too preachy and I'm sorry if that was the case. If not, great. Um, I, I didn't mean to, but these are just sort of things, these are just thoughts that I have because when it comes to cameras and stuff, I'm interested in the technology. I always get, on the one hand, I get annoyed when people don't appreciate like what is being put out and created and like, yeah, I know you wish the a7 IV could do everything in the world, but like practically for a $2,500 hybrid camera, it's pretty freaking good. Um, but I also get frustrated when companies don't do things that could be done to make their products better uh, and serve their customers better and they choose not to. So it's I, like looking at both sides of that coin is interesting to me. And then the DJI lack of diversity thing is just, it's something that has bothered me for a long time and seeing that discussion pop up again this week, I just thought it was probably worth revisiting. And uh, there we go. That's episode 99. So uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, next week's going to be the 100th episode. We'll do a Q&A if you want to send anything. And if you have any thoughts, I know I brought up a lot of points. So if you were, you know, shaking your fist in agreement or you were red with anger and disagreement, feel free to share those thoughts uh, through writing, video or audio, you can just email them to tom at enthusiasmproject.com. Or of course, you can keep an eye out on social media at Tom on all the things. And uh, you can submit questions and stuff when I post that early this week. It'll probably be, if you're listening to this on Monday, it'll probably be later today that I ask for, um, for people to start sending their questions. And then just basically all week, anytime you want to send something, go for it. And next week will be our 100th episode. I'll also be doing something special, something, I'll have something special to share with you as well to celebrate that, which is super cool. So uh, I think that pretty much wraps things up for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It feels good to get all that off my chest. I just hope it wasn't like too, hope it wasn't too preachy. Uh, But anyway, I appreciate you spending your time with me and I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week. And I will see you next time. I just realized I'm playing the wrong song here, but it's fine. Sorry, Mike and Patrick.